Turn to John chapter 16. We're going to be reading the end of the chapter, starting in verse 23. A couple of months ago, we were studying a passage in John 14 where Jesus told his disciples, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. This week we come to a similar promise where Jesus says, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. And also he says, ask and you will receive. So let's take up the topic of prayer again. And this morning we're going to be looking at the relational nature of prayer, which is to say that prayer is something that happens in the context of a relationship. And also at the power of prayer. Please stand for the reading of God's word from John 16. Starting in verse 23. In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulations, but take courage, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Prayer is talking with God. It's that simple, and yet that's a scary thought, isn't it? At least it should be a scary thought to you. Roman Catholics are taught to pray to Mary, to the saints. And yet I just said prayer is talking to God. And there's a difference between those two things, isn't there? Praying to Mary and the saints is a sad waste of time. If you've ever been to pray at an abortion clinic for the salvation of the lives of those little ones and for the souls of the mothers and others who are involved in the process of abortion, you'll know that most everybody who does that work is Roman Catholic And most of what they do there is entirely useless because mostly all they do is pray to Mary. Now I say entirely useless and I say that knowing that it may offend some of you 
But the saints are powerless to answer. Those who have gone before us in the faith do not have some ability to accomplish anything on our behalf. And if you point this out to Roman Catholics, what they'll say is, yes, but we're not actually praying to them. But if you watch, you'll see that they are praying to them, right? But they'll, you know, if you press them on it, they'll say, well, we don't really mean it like that. It's different. What we're doing is we're, we're ask, it's sort of like asking a friend to pray. Have you guys ever had this conversation with somebody, said somebody say that to you? It's kind of like asking a friend to pray. So is it okay for me to ask one of you to pray for me? Of course. So this is a very difficult thing to answer, right? What, what possible problem could there be to ask a friend to pray for you? Is there any problem with that? No, there's, there's no problem with that, right? And so how can we possibly complain, argue against what the Roman Catholics are doing? After all, they're just asking friends to pray for them. Well, I use the Roman Catholic doctrine of prayer as an example specifically to contrast with what we're being taught in this passage, okay? We're being taught in this passage that we are able to go directly to God the Father himself. That even Jesus Christ, in the flesh, present with his disciples, is saying to them, you don't need me to pray for you. You can go directly to the Father. So if we don't need Jesus in the flesh to go between us and God, and I'm going to come back to that, I'm going to come back to the connection between Jesus. There's a relational aspect between the Father and the Son here in prayer as well. But when Jesus is saying, I don't even say, you know, I don't, I don't say that I will request of the Father on your behalf, but rather that you can go directly to the Father because he loves you. That's an important thing because it means that we don't have to go straight to another person as an intermediary. We can go directly to the Father. And so it's a lack of faith to pray, to ask somebody else to pray but not to pray yourself to the Father. Do you understand? It's the, it's the, it's the weakest sort, possible sort of faith. And so, I want to continue down this path. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows what we need before we even ask. And he's omnipresent, meaning that he is always there Wherever you are, whenever you pray, right? Now, is your friend always there? Is your friend knowing what you need beforehand? I said earlier, of course, there's no problem asking your friend to pray for you. So now, if we all decided to ask Paul to pray for us at the same time, what would happen? Would Paul be able to pray for us? No. So is Mary omniscient? Even if you grant that maybe she has some ability to hear something somewhere right now, okay, is she omnipresent? 
Can she be present everywhere and hear all of these prayers and make sense of them and understand them? No. Even the most powerful angels are constrained by the space-time continuum, apart from God's miraculous power. Do you remember when the angel comes to Daniel and says that he was delayed because he was fighting with the prince of, who is it, the prince of, I can't remember what, what nation it is. He says he was sent to answer the prayer the moment that the prayer was given. But he got delayed in, in the meantime in coming because he had a fight to attend to. Even the most powerful angels are constrained, cannot be in two places at once, and yet God is everywhere at once, isn't he? And so, why would we pray to Mary? It's much less intimidating to think about praying to Mary, isn't it? That's why. That's one of the big reasons why. It's much less intimidating to think about having a relationship with a woman like Mary than to enter into the presence of the Almighty God and to think about having a relationship with Him. Do you want to talk to God? You need to want to. Okay? But by our nature, it's a scary thought. And it's scary for a reason. It's because he is the creator and we are the creation. It's because he is holy and we are not. It's because he is all-powerful and just. We can't get what we want by convincing Mary that it's a good idea. Do you understand that? You can't get that any more than Adonijah could get what he wanted by going to Solomon's mother, Bathsheba. Remember, Solomon was king. And Adonijah went to his mom and said, convince the king to do this for me. And what did Solomon do? He executed Adonijah for trying to to undercut his authority by manipulating the situation by going to his mother. And this is often what we are tempted to do. And it's often what's going on Not just in praying to the saints, like Mary, okay? But it's also what's going on when we go around and we try to convince other people in the church, other people, other Christians, or other people in our fellowship of something, right? As though if we could convince enough Christians that something that we wanted to do was a good idea, that then God would have to approve of it, because after all, they're God's people. And they all, I've managed to convince all of them. 
But God isn't manipulated. So go to your friends. Go to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Ask them to pray for you. Yes, absolutely. But prayer is about a relationship, and relationships are not about manipulation, are they? What a beautiful thing, the change that takes place at the crucifixion. When Christ is crucified, the veil in the temple is torn in two, and the way to God the Father is opened up directly, and we no longer need any mediator apart from Jesus Christ himself. The priesthood of all believers is right here so central in prayer because it means that each and every one of us is able to go to the Father ourselves. No longer do we need somebody else to sacrifice on our behalf. No longer do we need somebody else to pray to God for our cleansing on our behalf. Christ has done those things. They are accomplished at his death on the cross. Jesus is our mediator, and he is God. This is why Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, what does it mean to draw near to the throne? How are you going to draw near to the throne with confidence? You're going to pray. You're going to pray without fear. And you're not going to pray to somebody else. You're going to go right to the throne the throne of the living God. And what is it a throne? It's a throne of grace. And what is grace? Grace is, in its simplest definition, unmerited favor. Something good you don't deserve, right? And, and what do you receive from the throne of grace? Grace. To help you in your time of need. And so we go to the Father with what? With our needs. We go to him in prayer with what we need. And we say, help, I need this. We, we say to him, daddy. And you, and you say, how can you say daddy to the very God creator? And I say, well, it's only, be, it's only if you have become a son that you can call him Daddy. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, this is what allows you to come to that throne of grace without any expectation of judgment, but with the expectation of grace, of blessing. It's at the cross that we are given Jesus as our mediator and that the path to God the Father is opened up. You can just think of that. You know, 
the Old Testament descriptions of the temple and all of what it says, and, and it all focuses on the Holy of Holies, the place where the ark was, which was the presence of God, and it's veiled, the veil, the curtain between us and God. And when Jesus dies, the veil is torn from top to bottom. And you can, you can picture that, right? Huge, heavy curtain. Ripped from top to bottom. And what does that allow you to do? It allows you to go through. Straight to the mercy seat. That's, what the, that's where the cherubim are. The mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant. The promises of God are all there. This is prayer. And, and Jesus is saying that there's going to be a change in prayer. He's talking to his disciples, right? And he hasn't been crucified yet, and he's pointing them forward. And he's saying, there's going to be a change. I, you won't even need me to pray for you. You'll pray yourself because the Father loves you. Prayer is not a work that you do. Prayer is hard work, though, isn't it? (laughs) And so you can understand that, once again, when the Roman Catholics view prayer as a work to make themselves right with God through penance, okay, you can understand what's going on in their minds, right? You think, I've got to make myself right with God, and so I better find out what the things are that I need to do. And they give you a very particular list. Go to Mass, talk to the priest, go to the confession, pray the prayer, do this, do this, this. Here's his assignment, and it's all taken care of. And that would be so comforting, wouldn't it? But would it actually be comforting? Well, we like nice lists like that that are clean and that don't require faith, if we don't have faith. But if we do have faith, then what we realize is none of that can be of any benefit to me unless God himself acts. Prayer can't be anything that will make me right with God. I have to be made right with God in order to pray. Right? I could never come into his presence with confidence unless I knew that it was a throne of grace, unless I knew that he would forgive me. I could never, ever come into his presence and say, okay, now I'm going to do, now I'm going to talk to you for a while, God, and then that'll make everything right between us because you'll have, I'll, have done good, I'll, I'll have done something good. It's absurd. It's manipulation. It's the kind of thing where, you know, somebody who's been talking about, bad about you behind their back feels guilty about it and calls you up and talks sweet to you for a while. And it's like, that doesn't make the relationship right, does it? What is needed to make that relationship right is for 
them to repent and ask forgiveness and for you to forgive them. And the same is true with God, that we've sinned against him and so we can't go and talk to him in order to make it right. We need forgiveness. And that only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why we pray always in the name of Jesus Christ and to the Father, not to anybody else. Prayer is an act of faith. Not a work. You recognize that to enter into God's presence, that very act ought to end badly for you. Because he cannot abide sin in his presence. And yet you go anyway. Throwing yourself on his mercy, on his grace. And what do you receive? The answer to your prayer. Ask, and you will receive. Do you see? Prayer itself is an act of faith. People often will ask, how can I become a Christian? How, how would it be possible for me if, if God has chosen and there's all of this other you know, stuff that's in the way? And God has told us to pray to him for the Holy Spirit. And so, The man who has lived a life of sin with no thought to God and his commands, when he faces the extremity of his needs, when he is dying, when he's losing a loved one, when he's in a situation that the pressure has become so great that he cannot bear it, Often, what will he do? He'll pray. He'll say, God, if you just get me out of this, then I promise I will fill in the blank, right? Start going to church every week or be good from now on. God, if you just, if you just get me through this thing. And what is that man what is that man saying? I mean that man is saying God, I know what I have been. I know I have no right to ask anything from you. And yet here I am in your presence asking you for something. Please give it to me. And then with the absurd promise tacked on at the end, right? (laughs) 
And then I'll try to make it up to you. As if we can make up to God the answer to that prayer, right? (laughs) Knowing what we've been in our past leading up to that moment, that's what makes that prayer a prayer in our extremity, right? In the extremeness of our need, we think to ourselves, could I actually go to God? Well, there's no one else for me to go to. I'll go to God. And God has been pleased many, many, many times to answer that prayer as flawed and filled with self-righteousness as the ending is, right? And often God uses that promise to draw people to himself. I'll go to church every week, and so they start going to church. God saves them. God brings them through, and they begin to go to church. And they've started down the path of seeking God. And if we seek God's promises, we will find. When we pray, he will answer. What we ask for in Jesus' name, he will give us. And as we saw a couple months ago when we were talking about this, yes, many, many people have turned this into a get-rich-quick scheme. Another manipulative thing where you can just go to God and if you mean it enough or if you have uh, faith enough, then you're going to be able to fill in the blank, you know, heal your mother who's dying of cancer. You're going to be able to uh, make $100,000 in the next 30 days or you're going to be able to double your profit in the next sale or you're going to be able to... Whatever. This is not what Jesus is talking about. It's clear. It's obvious. What is that? It's just another manipulation, isn't it? It's, I've brought you this, God. Now you give me that. I deserve it. I've brought you X amount of faith. Now give me that. Prayer is possible because of God's love for us. That's why we can enter into his presence. Now look at verse 27 here. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. That's a confusing verse, right? The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. It could be read to imply that God loves us only after we love him, right? Father loves you because you have loved me. But John tells us elsewhere that we love because he first loved us. And that one makes explicit what's only potentially implied here in the reverse. Right? 
We cannot love unless He loves us first. So how do we make sense of this verse? Well, until we believe in Jesus Christ, we are still under His wrath. Even if He has chosen us before the foundations of the world, which He has, it is His love that has caused Him to choose us from before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4. The change that takes place at our justification is the one that allows us to approach God the Father with confidence. And what is our justification? It's when we are forgiven. It's when we are made right with God. By his declaration that we are righteous. That's what gives us confidence to come into his presence. Believing in Jesus as our Savior is what allows us to pray directly to the Father. It opens up that path. Now, I know I've just gotten done saying that the atheist will pray to God, right? Can you pray before you've been justified? Yes. And if you have not believed, you must pray. Pray that God will change your heart. Pray that God will draw you to himself. Pray that he'll give you faith. Pray that he will make you his son. And when he has, you can come to him calling him daddy. That's what you want. That's what Jesus is speaking of here. The love that we have for the Father and the love that he has for us. And this begins to demonstrate the power of prayer. Ask, and you will receive. Pray to him for salvation, and what will he give you? Salvation. He fulfills our every need as we seek it from him by faith. Our requests are not because of anything we've done or because we deserve it. When was the last time you deserved something good that you asked God for? Never. That's the answer. It doesn't matter what you think the answer is. The answer is never. You've never deserved any good thing from God. And so, when we come to him thinking that we deserve something... Are we asking in the name of Jesus Christ? No. We're asking in our name, aren't we? You see the difference there? If you do come to the Father and say that you deserve something because of what you've done, something good from his hand rather than discipline or punishment, 
okay? You're coming in your own name. You're coming in your own righteousness. Impossible. That man ought not to think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Our requests are not always what they should be for our joy to be made full. And that's such a beautiful part of this promise, that as we pray, as we go to him in prayer, what happens? So that your joy may be made full. That's why we're to, that's why we're to pray. And if the start of prayer is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation the start of a relationship between father and son, where you can go to him and you can say, Daddy, that relationship starts with the greatest joy, doesn't it? Can there be anything more joyful than us being saved from our sins? Than us being released from the slavery, the bondage of our sins? My little daughter, Fiona, comes to me often with requests. She can't talk really at all, but she has a very clear idea of what she wants. It reminds me of us. We all know what we want, right? At least most of the time. Sometimes we're just discontent because we are and we don't know what we want. And nothing can make us happy. Right? Until we're resting in God the Father. I find that most of the time when kids don't know what they want, the best thing to do is just to hold them and give them your peace. And they'll be resistant to that stiff-necked, right? And yet so often, isn't that what God does to us when we're dissatisfied? We're demanding this, and then we demand that, and we want this, and we want the other, and he doesn't give us anything except himself. Why? So that your joy may be made full. Because he knows none of those other things are going to make it better for you. New job, new house, new car, I need all of that. And now, this is Fiona's, I mean, those aren't her things that she wants, but, you know, and now, that's always the way it is with an 18-month-old, right? (laughs) I need this, and now. And isn't that the way we feel? I need my relationship with my mom to be repaired, and now. I I I need to have my husband love me more, and now. I need more time with so and so, and now. And half the time, those things that we want aren't even good for us. They aren't going to be for our peace or so that our joy is made full. And yet we can be very persistent. Aggressively insistent is the way I would describe Fiona a lot of the time with her requests, her demands more. In seeking things that are not good for her. No, I want to stick my hand in the blender. No, you may not stick your hand in the blender. And that 
No, she has not tried to do that yet. But that is the kind of thing she wants to reach down in. It's like, no. No, the answer is always no to that. And I'm not sorry. That's the answer. Because I want your joy to be made full, not your hand to get chopped up. You see, this is how, this is how silly we are with our requests to God a lot of the time. And then we're, we're so displeased that we don't get what would be bad for us. Don't be absurd. Trust God. Go to him with your requests by faith. Tell him what you want, and then trust him with the answer. He will give you what is good for you. He will give you what you need so that your joy may be made full. And an awful lot of the time, what we request are things that are good for us. But we think we need them now, and God knows that we need them later. A different time frame than what we want. The and now part, right? I need to be released from the temptation to this sin, and now. I need to be released from the, the tension of this situation and now. And so what are you going to do? You can go to God and you can pray, or you can just get out some alcohol. Or whatever the drug of your today may be. It might be a video game. It may be heroin. It might be shopping. Anything to get you out of that tension, out of that situation, out of that pressure, right? Make you feel relief. God wants your joy to be made full. And that will never make your joy full. Turning to all those other things. It never gives you true joy, does it? Go to him in prayer. Receive his peace. When you're in those situations, when you're in that tension, when you need strength, go to him. And so this is, this is the power of prayer. That you can go any time and he will hear you, unlike Mary. You can go anywhere, and he will hear you. You can go in spite of knowing what you've done, knowing your sin. You can go. You're going in the name of Jesus Christ. You're going under his blood, having been cleansed. Pray to him. Pray for peace. Pray that his joy will be made full in you. Pray for his Holy Spirit. 
in Luke eleven thirteen. Jesus is speaking, he says, he's comparing us as fathers, me as a father to Fiona, he's comparing to God the Father, to us as his children. And he says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, that's me, if, if me, being evil, if I know how to give good gifts to Fiona, and how to keep her from sticking her hand in the blender or in the electrical outlet. And if I know how to teach her how to wait for food, that's a good thing, right? Like being able to wait until a meal to eat. She's going to be, have a much more peaceful life. Hopefully decades of, of good fruit from her learning at this age how to not throw a temper tantrum when she gets hungry. We don't need it now. Right? If I know how to teach Fiona that, and I'm wicked, that's what Jesus is saying. If I know how to teach Fiona that kind of thing, and I'm wicked, then how much more, he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So do you lack the Spirit? Do you lack the fruit of the Spirit? Ask, and he will answer. In the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.